Let me ask you this. How many of you have shopped online this year? How many of you did online shopping? Like, I really should have thought about this and put an online business or something because the amount of online shopping uh, should have invested in UPS or FedEx, whatever it happens to be. Um, I read this year, I, I read this week, that this year, Americans will spend $760 billion on Christmas gifts. That is a lot of money. In fact, the article I read that said this, it also did a survey. And it said, the survey was, who is your favorite person to shop for? Probably no surprise. The favorite person to shop for is children, specifically your own children. 70% of people said, I love shopping for my children. Now, I will admit, I was a little sad to see what was on the bottom of the list. On the top of the list, you've got children. On the bottom of the list, dads. 2% of people love buying gifts for their dads. I've got five kids. There's a little bit of hope for me. I keep my fingers crossed, but dads, it doesn't look good for us. Uh, this December, we've been looking at a familiar passage in the Christmas story. We've been looking at the story of the wise men, the magi, who saw the star of the birth of the Savior. They followed the star, uh, and they found Jesus. And they brought him these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus, the newborn king. And this is a familiar passage to us. We've been looking specifically at the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And these gifts are a little unusual in our day and age. Uh, but in Jesus' day, these gifts were very useful to the family. In addition to that, these gifts, they foreshadowed some of the roles that Jesus would fulfill in his lifetime. For example, we saw in the first week of this series, we looked at the gift of frankincense. Uh, not Frankenstein, I got to make sure I say this right, frankincense. The gift of frankincense, it foreshadowed Jesus as our high priest. A high priest who understands our experience. He lived as we did, so he understands the challenges of going through life. And not only can he sympathize with our weaknesses, but as a high priest, he also offered a sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice ever, he offered the sacrifice of, of himself so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Last week, we looked at the gift of myrrh. We looked at the gift of myrrh. This foreshadowed Jesus as the suffering servant. Uh, Jesus as the suffering servant who suffered in our place. He suffered on the cross for what we deserve, not because of anything he did in himself, but for what we deserved so that we can have the price of the penalty of our sins paid for and we can have a relationship with God the Father. And today, we're going to look at the gift of gold. Now, throughout all of history, gold has been incredibly valuable. It's been a gift fit for a king. And so as we think about this idea of a king, I want to, I want to ask you to play a little game with me today. We're going to have a little bit of fun at church. We're going to play a game called Name That King. What's going to happen is I will show you an image on the screen behind me, and you have to name that king. Now listen, here's the deal. You actually have to play this game with me. It's no fun if you just sit there and watch. I want you to engage with me. This is, whether you're watching online or whether you're watching here with us right now, I want you to engage and have some fun, let loose a little bit. Uh, let's go. Number one, name that king. Simba, the Lion King. I hope you got that one. That one was good. One for one. The Lion King. He's a king, right? All right. I got another one. King number two. Let's see king number two. Name that king. King Kong. I heard that one loud. A little voice from over there. King Kong. 
I love that stuff. There's two for two so far. You guys are doing well. All right, let's go. Let's go. Show me number three. Name that king. Martin Luther. Martin Luther King. There we go. Martin Luther King. Uh, brings back some memories. Martin Luther King right there. All right, this one's going to be a little bit of a stretch. Show me king number four. Okay, it's a little bit of a trick joke on you. Listen, I know some of you are infatuated with the royal family. Actually, that's the queen with the three princesses who will become uh, the king in the future. I think you've got, I got to look at the names. You've got Prince Charles, Prince George, and, and Peter, or, or Bill, William. P William, that's the other one. These are the future kings in England. Have a little bit of fun with that, right? All right, this one, this one may be the best king. Show me number five. Burger King. Yeah, buddy. Burger King. He's a king. He's a king. All right. And the last one. This is the king of the NBA. Show me number six. Who said Kevin Durant? Who said KD? No, this is LeBron James, the king of the NBA. We had a little bit of fun. Name that king. How many of you were, were six for six? I was six for six because I put them together, but... Uh, thank you for having some fun with me this morning. Today, we're going to look at the gift of gold and see how the gift of gold given by the wise man pointed to Jesus being uh, king. Jesus, the, the kingship of Jesus, where Jesus is not just another person born on the earth. He's not just a, a person. He's actually born as the king of kings. Now, what's interesting is, is we hear that term, king of kings, we hear that often in religious circles, and the question is, well, what exactly does that mean? Actually, that term, king of kings, comes from the apostle Paul. He wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he said, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, he said, Christ will be revealed at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the king of kings, it means that Jesus is a king like no other. Jesus is a king like no other king. He has supreme authority over all the other kings and all the other kingdoms on the earth. Jesus is king above them all. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, a king like no other. Now the people of Jesus' day, they had long awaited for this king to be born. They'd read the prophecies about this Messiah, this Savior, this king who would be born. And they waited for him for a very long time. The problem is when, when Jesus was born, he was born in a way that nobody expected him to be born. In fact, back in that day, they were looking for a king that would be born in, in, in a palace. They were looking for a king who'd be surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort and power. Right, they were looking for a king wearing Gucci clothes and riding a Rolls Royce stroller. Like, they were looking for that kind of king. Nobody expected the birth of Jesus to happen the way it did. Nobody expected the king of kings to be born to a teenage mom in poverty, in a cave, no less, next to farm animals. Nobody expected that. Nobody expected the king of kings Nobody expected the Savior to be the son of a carpenter in Nazareth. Nobody expected the King of Kings to come from Nazareth. That would be like saying, uh, you came from Wiley City. Can anything good come out of Wiley City or Nazareth? Nobody expected the King of Kings to befriend sinners and prostitutes. 
Nobody expected the Messiah to touch lepers and to love the people who the culture rejected and deemed as an outcast. Nobody expected the king of kings to set aside his power to take on the role of a servant. Nobody expected the king to stand on trial for crimes he never committed. Nobody expected the king of kings to be beaten and whipped, stripped naked, and hung on a cross. Nobody expected the king of kings to die a shameful death in front of people who constantly mocked him. Nobody expected a king to be buried in the tomb. And nobody certainly expected that after three days that king would rise from the grave and sit at the right hand of the Father. And so this is where we look at the Christmas story that we love and we're so familiar with. And it's a beautiful story and we see Jesus born in the manger. Man, this was an unusual and an unexpected way for God to bring the King of Kings into the world. But we have to recognize that he is a king like no other. Born this way, he is our king. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here's, here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. When we recognize that we have a king, when we recognize that Jesus is king, that he is in charge, that means that he has control. That means that he has a plan. And if he's king, that means that he is working things out for, for your good and for his glory. And so if we have a king who's in control, if we have a king who has a plan, if we have a king who is working things out for our good and for his glory, you know what that means? That means that we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. Because there's a king who's working for us. There's a king who has a plan. But here's what's going to happen. As we look at this familiar passage in, in scripture that tells uh, of the wise men coming to Jesus, we're going to see that there are three different responses to Jesus the king being born. And these responses are going to come out of Matthew chapter 2, but these responses are still happening in our day and age 2,000 years later. Many of us have these same responses as we're going to see in this story in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, the first response we're going to see is the response from King Herod. And it's going to be a response of opposition to King Jesus. Here, here's what the text says, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And King Herod was troubled when he heard this. And all of Jerusalem was with him. Why do you think King Herod was troubled when he heard the wise men come seeking this newborn king? Remember what the Magi said? Remember the wise men said? They said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And so for Herod, he's thinking there's a new king. That's not okay. Now there's competition. There's competition for my throne. What we know about King Herod is he had given himself the title king of the Jews. He called himself the king of the Jews. And he had this, he had this propensity to, to guard and protect his throne. To guard and protect his kingship. Nothing was going to come in his way. In fact, history tells us that he was so paranoid about his power that King Herod had one of his wives, he had many of them, he had one of his wives killed and two of his sons killed because they were a threat to his throne. 
So all of a sudden, King Herod hears about this new king that is born, and he thinks there's no way, there's no way another king is going to threaten my throne. There's no way another king's going to be in control over me. So what he does when he hears that there's this newborn king of the Jews, verse 7 says that he summoned the wise men together secretly. And he, he, he asked them, when did this star first appear? This star that you have come from the east to follow, when did the star appear? They say it happened probably about two years ago. G, uh, Herod wants to know when this king was born. Because verse 16 tells us that after he finds this out, he issues a decree that all baby boys two years and under would be killed. Because there's no way, there's no way that Herod is going to allow some other king to try and take his spot on the throne. Herod was in direct opposition to King Jesus. Listen, this response to King Jesus still happens in our day and age. There are people today that say, you know what, I don't need religion. I don't need all that God stuff. I don't need that Jesus. I don't need any of that. I'm fine on my own. I'll do life my own way. This is a person that says, no one's going to tell me what to do. No old stuffy book, no, no, no stuffy church is going to tell me how to live. I'm my own king. I chart my own path. That is what it looks like for us to live in opposition to King Jesus. Now, I know we're at church, and many of us, we're, we're, we're humble. There's no way I would say these things. But how many of us, through the way that we live, through our actions, are saying, no one's going to tell me how to live. No one's going to tell me the right way to live. Sure, I might give lip service to God, but my life, I choose what I want. I live my life the way that I think is appropriate. That is how we oppose King Jesus in our lives. The first response in King Herod and in many of us is to oppose Jesus. The second response is going to be seen by the, seen by the chief priests and the scribes and the religious leaders. And they're going to be indifferent. They're going to dismiss King Jesus. They're simply going to dismiss him. This is what it says, verse 3. King Herod, when he heard, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. King Herod, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And the religious leaders told him in response, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For it was written by the prophet in Malachi chapter 5, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers, but from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, these religious leaders, these are people who, who knew and studied Scripture. They memorized entire books of the Old Testament. They knew all of the prophecies concerning the coming of this king, concerning the coming of this Messiah, this Savior. They knew these things. They knew the prophecy from, from Micah that said the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, will be born in Bethlehem. Yeah, here these religious leaders are. They are in Jerusalem, five miles away from Bethlehem. Five miles away. But none of them, none of them go to find this newborn king. None of them go search out to worship the, the, the newborn king. They knew the truth. It just wasn't important enough to them. They've got higher priorities. Maybe other things they want to do. They'll delay that. Maybe we'll go see him later. But right now we're doing something different. They dismissed King Jesus. 
Maybe that's something that in your life you understand what it looks like to dismiss King Jesus. Where you say, yeah, Jesus, I understand he's king, he's great, I love him for all of that, but, but right now, you know, I've got other priorities. Maybe I'll get to that later. I'll do the Jesus thing a little bit. I'll, be, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll serve God later when I'm, I'm not so busy right now. That is dismissing King Jesus, where we put our other priorities above him and say he's just not important to me right now. He's not important enough right now. So I'll dismiss him. First response is to actively oppose him. Second response is to dismiss him. But the third response seen through the wise men is to bow down and worship and surrender to King Jesus. Here's what it says, verse 8. Herod sent them on their way to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you are found, bring word to me so that I too can come and worship him. He doesn't really want to come and worship. After listening to King Herod, the wise men, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen, it went before them till it rested over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening up their treasures, they'd offer him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men, they come and they, they bow down before King Jesus. They, they worship him. This is the, the ultimate response to Jesus. To show reverence and awe and honor to the God of heaven who came down out of heaven to become one of us in Jesus. To bow down before Jesus is essentially to acknowledge, listen, when I bow down before you, Jesus, is acknowledging my life is not about me. This world is not about me. It's not about my throne and my desires. And so when we bow down to Jesus, it is us with everything we are, surrendering and submitting to Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what it means for us to bow down. And as we look in this, this story of the Magi coming to, to King Jesus, we recognize the response that is, is worthy of him. That Jesus, as the King of kings, he is worthy of our total surrender. He is worthy of our submission and our worship. That is who he is. That is, he is worthy of us surrendering to him, bowing down before him, acknowledging my life is not about me. It's about you and your plans for me. So I want to ask you this morning, just between you and God, I'm going to ask you just to open your heart a little bit. Just be honest with where you are. What is your response to King Jesus? What is your response to King Jesus? Not how you hope to respond, not the way that you think. What is your actual response to King Jesus, for real? Are you actively opposing him? Do you have the arrogance to think, I don't need him in my life? Are you opposing him? You got this thing figured out on your own. No one's going to tell you what to do. You're the king and there's no room for him. Are you dismissing him? Sure, maybe he's great. Sure, sure, you recognize his greatness. But right now, you've got other priorities. Maybe someday you'll get to the point 
of, of surrendering and following him, but right now there's just other things that are more important to you? Or have you actually made him the king of your heart, the king of your life? Have you bowed down in surrender to Jesus the king? Let me tell you, I can't answer this question for you. But I can say for me, for me, the thing that makes me keep coming back to King Jesus, the thing that makes me continually want to bow down and surrender to him is not the picture of a little baby in a manger. It's not the picture of Jesus growing up to be this nice, timid, weak guy who puts kids in his lap and, and pets little, little lambs. That's not what makes me bow down before him. What makes me keep coming, bow down, coming back to Jesus and bowing down before him is not the idea that Jesus is some ruthless, merciless, merciless dictator. Both those views of Jesus are wrong. <clears throat> what makes me keep coming back to Jesus and bowing down to him as king of kings is that he is a king who stripped himself of the glory of heaven and he reaches out and he loves people who were not good enough. That's what makes me come back to, to, to worship him, to bow down. It's the fact that he stripped himself of the glory of heaven to reach out to people who are broken. What makes me recognize Jesus as king of kings is that he stripped himself of the glory of heaven to, to reach out to those who know what it's like to struggle in this life. Who, the people who know what it's like not to live up to other people's expectations. What makes me come back to Jesus as king is that he stripped himself of the glory of heaven and he comes to reach out to people who drop the ball continually. To reach out to people who say the wrong thing and hurt people without recognizing it. What makes me come back to Jesus as king of kings is that he stripped himself of the glory of heaven to come and reach out to people with bad habits, people who've made a mess of their life. What makes me come back to, to Jesus, to worship him as king of kings, is he comes and reaches out to those of us who've made a mess of our life financially, to those of us who have faced divorce and depression and addiction. What makes me come back to Jesus as king of kings is he stripped himself of the glory of heaven to come and reach out to those of us who use substance to try and find meaning in our life? Or those of us who use substances to try and numb the pain? What makes me come back to Jesus as king of kings is he left the glory of heaven to come and reach out to people who are looking for meaning in the wrong places. To come for those who go to bed longing for more for those of us who are hurting and feeling empty. See, Jesus, Jesus is a king for people like that, which means Jesus is a king for people like me, which means that Jesus is a king for people like us. And as that king who stripped himself of his glory and came to reach out to me, that means that he has loved me right where I'm at. Not because I'm good enough, but because he is incredibly good. In light of a king like that, the way that he has reached out to me, I want nothing more than to experience more of that acceptance, of that love, of that grace, 
I want to have a relationship with a king like that. See, King Jesus is not just some distant, angry, uninvolved king waiting for us to mess up so he can come and bring the hammer down on us. No, he's not just the man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's not your homeboy. He's not your eight-pound, six-ounce, sweet baby Jesus. No, Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So I want to ask you this morning, out of reverence to the King who became one of us, out of reverence who gave his life to you, would you, would you stand with me for a moment? Out of reverence, would you take a moment and prepare your heart to worship this King? To give him honor and reverence for who he is. That Jesus is the King of glory. Jesus is the King of righteousness. He's the King of ages. He's the King of kings. Jesus is the King who heals the sick. Jesus is a king who came to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus is a king who strengthens the weak, who delivers the captive. Jesus is a king who restores the hurting and the broken. Jesus is the king who's our shelter in time of trouble. Jesus is a king who's a light when our world goes dark. Jesus is the king whose goodness is undescribable, uncontainable, all-powerful. He is the resurrection and the life. And today, I'm praying. Today, I'm praying that we would stop opposing him as king of kings and lord of lords and king of our lives. I'm praying that we would stop dismissing him and putting him on the side and saying, maybe later. I'm praying today that we would see him for who he is. That we would bow down and revere him and honor him and surrender to him and worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords.